You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, November the 4th. It's a gorgeous morning as dawn breaks here in Kentucky as I look forward to the Breeders' Cup 2022, which begins today with Future Stars Friday and culminates tomorrow, well, with who knows, perhaps the crowning of one of the greatest some of us have ever seen. Hyperbole? Well, very possibly, but what Flightline has achieved so far, in some senses, stretches what you believe is possible in a racehorse. That said, rather like Baid a few weeks ago, so much rests on his final performance in terms of his reputation and his legacy. There is little doubt, however, that in this town, in Lexington, in the cradle of the thoroughbred in Kentucky, the people are going to come out and see this horse and want a a performance of, of real emphasis to conclude his career. And almost nothing less will do, as I welcome in Michelle Yu, a respected racing analyst and broadcaster here in in the US who's been uh, commentating on this horse in Southern California for his his entire um brief but extraordinary career. Michelle, how how does it feel here in, in Kentucky this week as we build towards what very possibly very probably could be this extraordinary horse's final run? I really feel like, Nick, this is reminiscent to me of a couple Keenelands ago when we had American Pharaoh coming in. You know, he was the Triple Crown winner, and all of a sudden he had this opportunity at winning something in a way that we've never seen it done before. American Pharaoh delivered for us. It's it's a race that we still talk about now. Um, but in, in typical fashion, we're looking for more. So I think Flightline comes in with a heavy mantle, but it's also footsteps that we've kind of seen previously. The biggest difference for him is that at no point in his career has he ever been even tested. And now he's tangling with some big boys, but it just on paper doesn't look like they're even close to what he is. To my mind, though, American Pharaoh never stretched the boundaries of what was possible in a thoroughbred racehorse. Nobody ever said, oh, my God, I can't believe he's done that. Yes, he won a Triple Crown that hadn't been done since 1978. But nobody ever said, well, that, that's not possible. You can't, you can't run that fast. You can't do that to good horses. That's the kind of reaction that Flightline has elicited for the first time in maybe a generation or two. Yeah, yeah, two or three generations for sure. For me, I'm a little jaded. I don't think it was until his Pacific Classic that I even felt that way about him. Because before that, you know, you're just, you're winning four races and we've seen horses win races in in big ways before. Um, I mean, look at, if you go back to January of this year, look at how we, you know, we're praising and lifting up life is good and all of a sudden... He's the quasi-forgotten horse, right? We're watching him. We're like, yeah, he's all right, but he's no flight line. Um, and, and as brilliant as he has been and as amazing as all of his races have been, for me, it's only his Pacific Classic that really stamps him as something special. So I'm still kind of in the, in the mode this weekend, Nick, where I need to see that again. So are you suggesting in some ways that you still feel that there is a, a, a chink of vulnerability there? Or not? 
I don't know if vulnerability is the right word, but I'm just not ready to crown him as like the greatest horse ever with five races under his belt. You know, it's just the the lack of time that we've seen him. And, you know, for up until the Pacific Classic and the Met, you know, he was racing just his age group and he was only running in smaller fields. And, you know, I mean, there were so many like little hurdles he's had to overcome. And as a horse races and continues to race, they naturally will build up some of those positives because, you know, okay, now they've gotten to do X, Y, and Z. So... While he deserves a lot of superlatives, I just want to see, I want to see the Pacific Classic again from him before I'm like, okay, you know what? You can start naming him with Secretariat now. Uh, The point I made about Secretariat yesterday was that he ran 21 times in little under two years and he won a triple crown and all the other things. Is that the issue? Is the issue not the the, the single merit of a single performance, but a a whole CV, if you like, that a horse has to build up an entire resume in order to be considered great? I mean, I think so, right? Like, you go back to Justify, and it was like, okay, yeah, he was great and did things that were crazy, um, and then we never got to see him again. So how good could he have been you know look at secretariat went out and he did other things and you know he started off sprinting and then he tried the grass and we got to see a true champion that is able to handle a lot of different things i mean for flight line um you know he we have all our layoff lines and we only have the you know one blowout big race over really good horses prior to that he didn't even beat a good horse right i mean in, in my opinion, you know, you're looking at, okay, everyone's like, oh, he beat Hap DC for the Met Mile in Aloha West. Well, Aloha West won a sprint race and then at that point hadn't won anything since then. You know, Happy Saver hasn't won a race and I don't even know how long. So he's not exactly like beating up on our finest either. But you and I both know, because we've watched 60 years racing combined, that you sometimes watch something and think... <laughs> I know it's early. I deserve that. Um, uh, you watch a performance like that and you think, that's just not possible. That shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes. The, the Pacific Classic for me was one of the most impressive races I've ever seen. And it was probably the most impressive race I've ever seen in person. Like when he went down the backside and he just moved away with ease. I mean, it was insane the way he just powered on and then turning for home it was like he had another gear and another gear and it's just it was it was magical and then getting to watch Flavian Pratt's helmet cam and like watching like you hear everything around you and then in three strides it's just like a movie where like there's a boy on a beach just running you know into the wind by himself so he has been nothing short of dazzling um but for me, it was just that one race. And I sound like such a bad person because I'm like the only person saying that. Everyone else just wants to be taken in and they're like all just swept up by what he could become. Um, and I, I guess me, I'm just like stealing myself for either the disappointment of like not being that good or of like us not seeing him again after this. So are, are you one of those that wants him? To, to do it all over again or are you one of those that thinks no I, I want to be proven right horses aren't that good no I want him to win by like 15 and then I want him to run next year 
because I'm really greedy. Like, I don't even want to be like tantalized. I don't want to, I don't want to be like, oh great, he won by a hundred and set every record ever. And then, oh, by the way, we're going to retire him. To me, that would be like the biggest blow. Been letting myself fall in. It's like when you go on vacation and you meet this really great guy and you're like hanging out, you're like, this is the best three days ever. Um, <laughs> it's like you don't even want to fall in love because you know at the end of the vacation you have to go home. And that's genuinely how you're feeling going into this weekend. Yes, that's how I feel. And in terms of the opposition, should we worry about who they are? Does it really matter or is it simply a question of him delivering the same level of performance because if he delivers the same level of performance he simply demolishes them or are we looking at horses that genuinely are worthy of more respect i mean i want i want to see him beating horses the way he did in the classic he beat your dubai world cup winner and another you know he's also won the the gold cup and everything else by 20 lengths i mean royal ship was a multiple grade one winner he beat him by a lot um i i do want to see him beat good horses because if I was running like six allowance horses in there, then I mean, if he should beat them by that much, right? Look at not to be like unfair, but like at the Kentucky Derby, most of those horses or a lot of those horses on, on many occasions can just be non-winners of two, right? They won one stake or they finished a second stake and they got in there. So I would expect to see Flightline if he was beating up on a bunch of three-year-old allowance horses um, do it pretty impressively so yes i want to see horses that are in there like life is good um i want to see him beating really good horses the way he has been to be like yeah yeah all right and then he joins the pantheon of the modern great it is such an exciting prospect to what extent finally michelle on this particular subject does flight lines appearance a put people on the gate here in lexington kentucky because it's this is a a, a cradle of genuine fandom and B, make this Breeders' Cup? Well, um, definitely is bringing fans out in droves. There were hundreds of people here to watch him gallop, to watch him work. Um, I mean, they were lining the streets when he schooled the other morning, Nick. They had so many people, like John Sadler said, this is great, this is like a race day experience for him. I mean, they all wanted to like touch him and be close to him. And we've had celebrity horses in the past that I feel like the fans have been a part of like that. So it was great, although we don't get like the touching access that say John Sheriff's gave us with Zenyatta. But it's been a real draw. I mean, people have gotten up in the morning to come out and see him. So I do think that they want to come out and start to be a part of history. And it's because horses that win in the way that he wins don't come along that often. I mean, secretary, it's the one that's jumping to everybody's lips, but you know, look how long ago that was. So people of like my generation that weren't around for secretariat, this could be the horse we can be close to and see and have our picture with um, so that we can show our kids one day like, oh yeah, you know, Flightline, I was there for that. Um, So he certainly is a draw. And for race fans too, people that are racing fans and maybe not just like, you know, every other weekend type people when i was at dinner the other night there were like five guys from saudi and i was like oh you know you guys you know who you guys here to see everyone said flight line like we want to see flight line everybody wants to see it from you know the, the most common i watch races two times a year to the guys that this is their life look at aiden o'brien was fangirling over him the other day 
Well, one owner who may well hold all before him at the, uh, the Breeders' Cup this year is Mike Rapoli. It's been a sensational year already with the Belmont Stakes victory with Mo Donegal and the leading three-year-old filly at this stage. Leading filly, you could argue, in training. Nest. We'll find out a bit more Saturday afternoon, of course. Mike, it's been a sensational 2022. D- just describe your feelings as we approach Breeders' Cup. I mean, no matter what happens, having seven grade ones since uh, the Belmont's been amazing. Three horses with Forte, Chocolate Gelato, and Nest, and, you know, two of them being favorites and one of them being second. So, you know, it's fun to have three horses in the Breeders' Cup when we have three live chances. Uh, Nick, it makes it even more special. So just really, honestly, enjoying the moment. A lot of friends and family. The races are Friday and Saturday, but I'm, I'm enjoying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as much as I'm going to enjoy Friday, Saturday. It seems like you're warming to your task as a, as a great champion of the, of the sport. Why do you care about this game so much? Because uh, if, it w- if it wasn't for 13-year-old Mike Rapoli loving the sport, I wouldn't be here. You know, like that was the kid that fell in love with the sport. And that was the kid that said, one day I'm going to own racehorses, not be a baseball player, not be a football player. And I'm just doing what I dreamt of. And uh, the, the blessings that I got that I can afford to be in this game is one thing. But I think that there's a lot of improvement to be made in the sport. And I think the improvement can be better for everybody. But sometimes, you know, you got to take one step back before you take two steps forward. What is the sport? What is the sport getting right? Which are the bits that still, that still get you going, that still get your pulse racing? You know, I don't want to be that negative on the sport but a lot of the things that the sport is getting right are just the organic natural things that the sport provides so it's the things that they got right in 1850 not the things they're getting right in 2022 1900 1952 it hasn't evolved enough to get more people involved and uh you know i mean having the breeders cup in keeneland is a hundred times better than having it in california i mean this is where horse racing is you know other than kentucky basketball Racing in Keeneland is one too, and you know having places that like here, and even like if you got to have it in New York, it should be in Saratoga. It should be in Saratoga. Imagine having it in Saratoga, or having like when you had it in Del Mar last year. It was really should be in a small area, more contained, where people love racing and not trying to be a Super Bowl in L.A. or Chicago or New York. I don't think it works that way. But you love it here. It works here for you. Um, just in terms of how the sport is or isn't selling itself and bringing itself up to date what would be if, if you were given the role of commissioner of horse racing and you self-appointed yourself on our cocktails yes, and conversation show now. earlier so when you, you are now i am the commissioner yeah. of horse racing you I'm, are the i've commissioner. decided this week i'm going to make a public announcement that i've made myself commissioner nobody else has if you were antiquated enough to still have a business card it would say mike rapoli commissioner, commissioner of, of racing, horse racing. Yeah. right yeah. so what would be the first thing you would do Nick, I, I i wish it was that simple mm. Oh, it's not a magic wand. No, 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 there is. But what, I suppose what annoys it, you the most? I, I'm going to make it very simple. Yeah. 95% of what we do in horse racing is incorrect. So just do almost everything opposite and you'll only be wrong 5%. <laughs> it's that bad. I mean, there's so many things. The, the trainers working together, the jockeys working together, the uh, horse owners working together, the tracks working together, Parry Muccio uh, uh, sites working together. Instead of competing outside the racetrack, only compete inside. Because when you only compete inside, the outside grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and everybody makes more money. So we are so focused on trying to Churchill versus Keeneland versus Niver versus Stronich. It makes no sense. They should all be working together. So to grow the sport, not to grow their you know, quarterly earnings report. It's a waste of time. All right. So this weekend... If things go well, you may yet get even more involved in the sport, having just been the leading buyer at the Keeneland Yearling Sale. 
you know, listen, I'm going to get more involved in the micropoly way. I'm going to say what I feel, whether I agree or disagree, and I'm not going to sugarcoat. And the more I get involved, um, you know, listen, I think I say what, honestly, 95% of the people want to say, and that most of them either don't have a platform or most of them uh, don't want to rock the boat. Uh, This sport needs to evolve. We're in 10 years, I think it's going to be in big danger, especially with gambling taking off like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we've had a 100-year head start on gambling in the United States. You know, I mean, come on. I mean, now that now gambling's going to be in every single state, there's no reason why we can't have the same bets, the, the, the win, play, show. Why not, you know, if Nest Malathot, why don't we have a head-to-head competition? Even if one comes in first or last or third or sixth, you know, make them... Uh, Minus 110, head-to-head. Now, here was, an, here was an interesting thing. We all know that the likelihood is Flightline wins the Classic and Flightline goes to stud. I mean, that's the commercially viable thing to do, even if as all racing fans we want him to race. Now, you just hung a little bit. You hung a ca- carrot out a minute ago. You were, your tongue was firmly in your cheek. But you're going to race Nest, your filly, on and on and on for a minute. Yeah, I'm definitely going to race Nest as a four-year-old. But And I want to make sure that what I said about Flightline, <laughs> if I owned them, I'd have to retire them. I just wouldn't be saying oh he might come back he's gonna retire because racing purses are two to three million dollars and a stallion field deal next year he'll make 30 40 million dollars you know and the faster he gets these crops to the track the more his stud fee goes up so incrementally and you get an extra year of breeding out of him you know so you know so it's a no-brainer the economics for keeping a horse the insurance on the horse is going to be three four million dollars so it doesn't make sense so if people understood the racing fans understood there's a reason why we can't do it Instead of saying, oh, wow, these rich owners are not keeping them in the sport. You know, somehow you have to make purses. We shouldn't go to Saudi for a $20 million race. We shouldn't go to Dubai for a $10 million race. If we actually work together, we can have $10 and $20 million races here. The Kentucky Derby, the biggest U.S. race, $2 million? It's embarrassing. Churchill should put up $10 million. You know why they don't? Because whether they put up 2 or 10, the attendance and the people are still going to race in the race. So they, they just see the bottom line. Yeah. If I ever start a race, it will be the first Saturday in May. For 10 or 15 million for three-year-olds and then watch how many people come to my race okay and you're um you're offering flightline a match next year a head-to-head 20 million dollars <laughs> in saratoga uh mile and a quarter match race and uh 20 million dollar purse 10 million teach us and and you know what there'll be one huge winner in that race the racing fans of all, of all the horses you run this weekend and you run three extremely talented ones which is the one that you think has the best chance of winning yeah, I think Nest has the best chance because I think she has a chance of being something really, really, like, once in a lifetime. I, I had that Uncle Mo once in a lifetime colt. I had Vina Rosso that won the Classic. But this horse has brilliance that Uncle Mo had. Vina Rosso was a grinder that was going to win and, and a mile and a quarter. But Nest is just one of those special fillies. I think she wins at six furlongs. I think she wins at a mile. I think she wins at a mile and a quarter. Uh, I think... I think she's getting better every start. Her last three races, she's won by 12 and a half, uh, five and a half, and nine and three quarters. Um, we might see something very special on Saturday. Mike, good luck. Thanks so much for talking Thank to you. me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was owner Mike Rapoli not holding back on his thoughts about this weekend, but also his his, his thoughts on, on the sport in general. Michelle Yu is, is still with me. Looking forward to the Breeders' Cup Friday and Saturday. Um, the sport might be getting quite a lot wrong, but if it is, Michelle people like that are going to hold it to account and hold its feet to the fire and if they've just spent several tens of millions of dollars at the yearling sales then somehow the sport is going to listen to them more than it is to you and me 
Yeah, they should certainly listen to people like Mike Rapoli. I mean, you know, not only do you have the money to back you, but he's spreading it out now, right? He's not only in New York and he's coming out to California and he's, he's trying to do more. And we, we love to have people like him on big days because he doesn't say no to an interview or to access. He definitely um, doesn't. He likes to run his horses. And all of those things are really important, as silly as they may sound. Well, that's the one thing that struck me, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to be one of these people who suddenly goes to a new country and bangs on about how it's great and greater than my own or greater than my sort of adopted country of America. But it's the one thing that struck me when I was in Australia is that these owners are in it for, for, for a good time, yeah, and they're quite wealthy. And by the way, they, wanna, they want action. They want to see horses run and run a lot. Uh, and, and that is a slightly different culture. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, here we've gotten, I think what probably was the catalyst to it was when an owner is looking to get a trainer, they want to look at like who has the highest percentage because that gives me my best chance to win. But when you do that, then there's pressure to keep up that percentage, which means instead of running a horse here, there and trying this, uh, you only run them in those you know key spots. So we get away from racing as often to try and capitalize on the majority of wins instead when other models work well as well if you can just ignore the fact that yeah we ran three times but you know we wanted to try grass and he needed a race here because you know he was ready to run there was nothing else i mean it would be you know great to get to see horses that run more often instead of just cherry picking all their spots but i think my but are we are we are we not back to the flight line scenario there isn't is is that not why a bit like when baid ran for his final time and he didn't win and everyone was like well, he's not one of the greats, then, is he? Because he hasn't won his last start, and and haven't they put this? Ha- That's so unfair, isn't it? Yeah, it is unfair. But haven't they put the same sort of pressure on Flightline because of the way in which he's been campaigned? Like no one gave a monkey's whether Secretariat got beaten on occasions during his career because of the rest of his CV. Yes, I'm. But like it, it's. Like with Secretary, he had, like you said, he had so much on his resume. He had all these races. We knew he was great. We're just worried that, like, maybe Flightline's a fallacy because he's only had, you know, the one or the two exactly really my point. good races. Yeah. So, it's and it's unfair that they would get branded that, but it's also probably, it could be right, right? Does four, horse, does four races make you the greatest champion to ever live, even if you won them impressively? Well... That's why. I'm like banned from like Flightline's camp now. Like I'm not anti-Flightline. I'm anti like the hype yeah. until we've seen him run. That's it. I love Flightline and I love his connections. They're like very dear to me, and I want him to be good. I just like I said, I'm, I'm just afraid of like falling in love with the horse and then we like retire him after this. And and you've you've expressed that so well, probably better than anybody in the entire year and I think similar there were there were similar comments about Baid going into Ascot it's a legacy play isn't it if you think it's the horse's last run and you haven't been aggressively and and really ambitiously campaigned and your your entire reputation comes down to one final hurrah where you really need to put on an exhibition it you're putting yourself under an awful lot of pressure you are and, and and saying like okay well we're gonna end on that note that's it he's done that makes it seem like almost sour grapes right i would feel better if okay just say just say flight line stumbled out of the gate couldn't get around and then got beaten ran second 
I think at that point, for sure, you don't retire. You come back again. You show, you know what? Oh, well, one race doesn't make my career. It's the body of work that makes my career. So then if he goes on and wins a bunch more, like he's like, like Secretariat, no one cares that he got beat. Um, you just have to show like, oh, I have plenty of good races in there to be a great horse. Undefeated doesn't mean that you're a great horse. We are diverting back to Flightline again, and unapologetically so, because this could be one of the great moments in the sport, uh, as I'm heaping pressure on this occasion as well. In terms of the rest of the weekend, Michelle, a lot of the listenership to this podcast will be concerned with how many European winners are there. There will be a sort of parochial desire to see numbers on a score sheet. It seems to me that it is set up for, that the event is set up now for European winners. It is significantly more straightforward for European horses to win than it was, say, 10 years ago. I remember, I still remember the, the, the wipeout of Monmouth in 2007. It doesn't seem like that long ago. Um, what is a par score for foreign horses' wins? Okay, I know for sure Modern Games is going to win, right? That's my for sure pick. Other than that, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for Americans to win. And I think part of that is the turf course here does play a little softer, but if you're a Euro shipping over here, I think you're searching for really firm turf course. Um, also, the sprint distance is really short, and you know we tend to see U.S. winners in that race as well, um, just because. But but not a, but not a, not not as short as Del Mar, not as short as the five at Del Mar, where frankly you've got no no shot. Yeah, but the the way that the configuration is here, I think, is a little bit different, right? I mean, Delmar has a short turf, a short stretch, and it's five furlongs, so it's obviously like a shorter distance. But here, I just feel like the way the configuration is, it doesn't give you very much time if you're down the lane trying to make a run. You have to start that run early, like you have to start it pre pre turn or top of the turn. You can't wait till you turn for home to make a move when it's straight, and maybe just the euros don't do that because a they're not as used to turns and um b you know they they need that like straightness to go so and i think that look we have a vast majority of europeans coming in for some of the sprint races obviously then for like the big turf races but like take a look at like the juvenile turf i feel like that's a race that should have been dominated by european horses and there's like one mm. yeah so if silver not doesn't deliver is it, it- on on what everyone expects him to do because now everyone's all besotted with Charlie Appleby then it, it, the cupboard starts to look a bit bare I, I get your point so actually if the spread of European winners is three to four you'd be selling yes interesting Interesting, and and I think there are talented horses in those juvenile races from Europe, uh, from America, and I think there are talented horses in in some of the longer races. Uh, perhaps we should conclude for the moment by talking about the Breeders' Cup Turf. It is, after all, the most prestigious race. You've already told me that Modern Games is going to win the mile. The turf looks a complete crapshoot to me. I can't work it out. I eventually came down on thinking that I I was going to back Stone Age for goodness sake. Uh, I had I was honestly hoping that like today when I saw you you would tell me who to play in there. <laughs> well, there you are. I've kind I've kind of told you. I mean, th- what do you do with this race? Well, I think if you're if you're an American player, put Stone Age under everything and over everything, and you might get a result. Stone Age already got beat. Like Nation, why is Nation Nation's Pride the best horse? Right? Yeah, I but Nation's Pride is Nation's Pride is a ridiculous. Nation's Pride is a ridiculous three to one shot. Stone Age is still twenty yard. Yeah. 
and they're separated by a cigarette paper. I wanted to beat Rebels Romance. Well, maybe... I mean, this is a race that, no joke, Red Knight, I feel like, could jump up and get a good trip, and all of a sudden he wins. This oh. is like a Mike Maker specialty, right? <laughs> 20 to 1. Is that the... It would shock it, and Mike Maker would walk in there with his smug little smile and be like, ha ha. Do you know what that means? It means I have to interview Mike Maker on network television again. <laughs> And frankly, I love Mike Maker. He's a really nice man, but he's the, he's a terrible interview. Literally, just don't. I mean, you tell tell the producers I only need ten seconds. Oh. That's all you're gonna get out of him. All right. Well, it wouldn't be the lead up to Breeders' Cup without checking in with Wayne Catalano. He's got another great chance to win a Breeders' Cup uh, juvenile race uh, on Friday. Future Stars Friday. Let's start Wayne by talking about and the winner is who was so impressive at. Uh, Keeneland on Full Stars weekend. How's he? How's he doing? Prepping up to the to the juvenile turf. Absolutely amazing. I'm so excited about the way he's training and going into this race. I'm very happy with everything. You know, uh, tomorrow is a very exciting day. You know, it's kind of one of the times I'm going in with a really big shot to win one. Uh, he's a he's a beautiful looking horse with a with a terrific pedigree. Just tell for those of us who, for those who aren't familiar, t- tell us a bit more about his backstory and how he came to you. Well, Miss Susan, uh, she got the farm here. She bought over there in Lexington, and the horse didn't sell. It was R and A, and uh, she sent him to me as a young, you know, very young horse, and he just come in there, Yankee. You know, uh, looking okay, but as he got the training going on, and the more he got training, the better he got looking. The last time I saw him, I'm like, wow, who is this one? Because I haven't been in town for a while. And when I saw him, I was like, I was impressed. And ever since, he's just stepped up every time. And I was just going to work him on the grass five and a half because here it is. You know, we're on the grass, two-year-olds, five and a half, and I had this Oscar performance horse that, you know, grass pedigree. I said, well, let's just run him and see, uh, get a get a workout over the grass. See what he, you know, what we got here. And he, he ran an impressive race. And the rest is history. And and you were very confident going into the, the, the graded race at, at Keeneland last time. And he really delivered for you. He, he wheeled his way around the field and, and quickened right away. Is there any extent to which you think that, that he could have been flattered, or do you think that's a true reflection of his superiority? Well, first of all, the reason why I was confident in him, he ran it first turn, first time two turns at Saratoga on a very biased track. They went around there one, two, three, and if there was no pace up front. The surf turf was like, they rained like, I don't know how much you can call it. The day before, I wasn't very happy about that part of it. But uh, I thought that race was going to benefit and springboard into this race like, okay, we can win here. But, you know, everybody's got opinions. What are you going to do? Horse training great, looks great, matured great, going into the race great. I can't ask for more than that. It's horse racing, you know, what we're going to do. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we run into each other tomorrow because I've been, I've been lucky for you so far. Yes, you have. Let's get together again. Well, back to the UK now and continuing our look ahead to the Tattersall's Mayor's Sale. Uh, you remember yesterday we spoke to Paddy Toomey about the four elite mayors that were heading to the Scepter session of the sale. And you might also remember, if you've got slightly longer memory, that I spoke earlier in the year to longtime owner breeder Philippa Cooper of Normandy Stud, who said that she was scaling back her bloodstock interest. And as such, um, some of the mayors are going to go into 
into the Tattersall's mayor's sale. Philippa joins me now just to um, colour in a little bit of detail. Philippa, what's the what's the scale of the of the dispersal? How many mayors are you offering? It's a total dispersal, otherwise you can't call it a dispersal. Um, there's only one mayor that's not being sold, and that's a mayor fallen for you who remains in Ireland, and she's 13, and she's not in full. She's resting, and I wouldn't sell. There's another mayor fallen in love. I won't sell any mayors over the age of 13 so it's really just those two but everything is going otherwise otherwise it's not a dispersal it's just a cull ah i see i didn't realize that you were you were bound by the uh, by the by the terminology uh, so it's it's a, a really significant uh, group of mayors from families that you've been curating now for well over well over two decades um which ones would have the closest attachment to you or which ones are you most closely attached to? That's like asking you which <laughs> is your favourite child, Nick. You can't ask questions like that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they're, they're all my girls. Basically, I've got six in the sceptre um, and that's up to Tassels to decide how they divide them up. And I've got six in in on the Tuesday... I did say to them, can they all go on one day to lessen the pain? And then I've got, I'm selling five bowls and I'm selling four fillers, sorry, four fillers out of training. So we're talking of 16 horses here. Um, so it's a significant amount and I will just be left with two who are older girls. Um, and they're three main families. So we've got the Dolores family or the Agnes family whichever one you want to call it so we've got Flair Forsyth and Gretchen and so this for for for, for those with a, sort of me good medium term memories this is the family of Samuel and Duncan and all the all the all the one word names yeah and Flair Forsyth won the Gultries Gretchen won the Park Hill she's the sister of Samuel and Duncan and so we've got one family here we've got the food broker fancy family with Sultanina, who won the Nassau, French Dressing, who bred Mahatha, um, and also won the Lyric herself. And then we've got the Fallen Star family, where we've got Fallen For You, who won the Coronation. Her daughter, Love Is You, is in the sale. She won the Radley Stakes. Um, and Loving Things, who won the Prix Floor. But what's so interesting, well, I think is really useful for people, is I'm also selling some unraised daughters. And I find when I have sold, and I do have to go to the sales every year, but mm. you would call it a cull then in the senses, but there is something for everybody. There's some, there's the maybe more headline there, but there's also like a Leah, who's a daughter of Dolores, who's very special to me. And she therefore is the sister, half sister to Samuel and Duncan and Gretchen. And she's in Fold Saxon Warrior. And you've got Loving Kids, who's the daughter of Loving Things, who's in Fold Magna Gratia. And they won't be what I would call expensive men's. They would be for smaller owner breeders. And that's what I hope I will bring. It won't be, oh my goodness, some of these men's are going to be so expensive. It's they're for everybody. So, so people all 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 all, th- all down the the scale can get some kind of involvement in some of these families that you've taken years to to curate for three four four yeah. generations. And I pray that will happen. I mean, that will give me more pleasure than anything. And also, the other thing is, I didn't know. Not that it would have made any difference, probably, <laughs> but I didn't know that when I sold, when I did these mating plans, that I was going to sell up. 
I only made the decision to sell up in June. So the meetings that these mayors have got, for instance, Fairforsyth and Loving Things are in full to see the stars. Well, there's only three mayors in the whole sale that have see the stars coverings. And then French dressing is Frankel. And then again, we've just got the Judmont mayors who may be culls who have Frankel coverings. And um, so I think they've got very special coverings in them. And it's, I know we've got these amazing fillers out of training, fillers in training, but with these mares, in a way, you get two for the price of one because they're, they're early coverings. So, for instance, one of them, a couple of them, are, will be foaling in January. So it's pretty quick. Well, Philippa, I wish you all the best with them and I hope they realise what you want and I hope they pr- provide um, foundations for, for many more breeders to come. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you, Nick. All right, my thanks to Philippa Cooper and to Wayne Catalano and to Mike Rapoli and all my guests today. Michelle Yu, the quite brilliant Michelle Yu, is still with me and is going to give you, I don't know, what do I want? Three? Three for the Breeders' Cup? Three? Okay, well, I already told you I like modern games, right? Who else do I really like? I like Persian Force a lot. So do I. Yes, I like Persian Force because I think if Blackbeard had come, I sound like a broken record, Blackbeard probably would have been favored or close to it. And I mean, he's not in here. So for me, this horse has been close to Blackbeard. So I'm liking him. I loved the way that he jumped out of the stalls the other day here. He looked super sharp. So um, I like him a lot. And I like Laurel River in the Dirt Mile. And I'll tell you my favorite horse that's been training that I've seen gallop. And it's the Five Pleasant Passage. Uh, she comes in the juvenile turf fillies for Shig McGahee. She's 12 to 1 on the morning line. She broke a maiden on debut and then she won a stakes race next time out. Both goes both those go in the mile and the 16th. And on paper, I do feel like there's probably horses other people will look at that are better than her. I've just been captivated watching her. She's just coming into like a really good spot where she looks great. And she has just glided over three types of ground that I've seen her on. A sealed track, a wet track, and a, and a dry track. Obviously, she runs on grass, so none of that means anything. But at least she's shown that she's capable of just going over anything. All right, so there you are. Three outstanding selections from the quite brilliant Michelle Yu. Uh, Michelle, it's early. But it's Breeders' Cup weekend. Uh, it's it is a little bit Christmassy, isn't it? If you're a horse racing fan. Oh, this whole week is Christmas, right? You get to come here and you climb up the stairs and you stand at the back of the racetrack and you're like, stakes horse, stakes horse, stakes horse. Like my phone runs out of batteries every day because I'm taking pictures of horses or I'm taking selfies with them. I'm chasing them down to like give them pet pets. I mean, it's it, it, you can't get a better gift than this. You are the ultimate racing fan. My thanks to Michelle. My thanks to you for listening. Uh, This is Breeders' Cup weekend. I will be back on Monday with a reprise, not only of this, but of course everything that's happened over the weekend in the UK and Ireland and across the rest of the world. We might even be having a look back on the big Champions Day at Flemington as well, just because I've left. I haven't forgotten about it. Um, Thank you very much. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. In the meantime, enjoy a fabulous couple of days of horse racing. We'll be back very soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares. 
the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.